Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, With Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Ladies and gentlemen, right now let's get back to our programming and uh, a gentleman that I absolutely look forward to having on the air every Tuesday and that's Dr. History. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Jeff. How are you doing this morning? Well, we're hanging tough. Uh, we've got some problems with the phone line, but uh, we're keeping on the air, so to speak. And uh, what are things going on with you in the world of history? Well, before we get started, I just want to make a plug for the Cajun County Historical Society. Tonight, or no, not tonight, Thursday night, April 17th at 7 p.m., they are going to have the 30th anniversary of the 1984 near flood of Cajun County. The near flood. That was the year that the water got really high at the Oakley Reservoir. It was endangering the whole valley here. Oh, my. And uh, anyway, Keith Ramsey made a movie or video that's going to be shown, and guest speaker will be Rex Judd, who ramrodded the digging of the canal from the Oakley Reservoir to the Snake River, which saved millions and millions of dollars in property and farm ground so just want to give a plug for that do you mean that will be at the casual county fairground all right now do you mean to tell me that you said keith ramsey made a movie of it i didn't know he was a steven spielberg oh yeah yeah keith is multi-talented oh my and i haven't seen this uh but he evidently did some uh, videotaping and uh put that together and i haven't seen him, but I've heard it's very good. All right, well, now listen, uh, I know that you've got a very interesting and informative story about some Idaho history today. I do. Um, you know, I'm going to talk about two different wagon trains. Uh, both ended up uh, in kind of uh, one in a not a very good way and the other one in a very good way. So I'm going to start with the first one that was kind of a uh, not so good. But undoubtedly the greatest Indian disaster that ever occurred in a territory of Idaho and probably the whole Northwest uh, when we consider the people that were killed and uh, was the Indian Massacre of Alamo Creek, which occurred in 1861. So we'll go back to the spring of 1861. We've got an immigrant train that left Missouri River bound for California. They were well-equipped. The train consisted of more than 60 wagons and about 300 people. Well, when they reached the Western Plains, they were kind of harassed by some Indians, uh, but not too bad. They were able to keep them kind of at bay. Well, this gave them added courage, and they looked on the Indians uh, who were at first kind of in small numbers, and they didn't really pay that much attention. Well, sometimes they would actually take a shot at them at long range just to kind of keep them away from the wagon train. But this kind of aggravated the Indians. 
if you can imagine. Mm -hmm. This, coupled with the desire to destroy the train and possess its belongings, caused a bit of a general uprising of the numerous Indians who were along the Oregon Trail. They weren't too fond of all the wagons that were coming through here, and you, you can't blame them for that, really. Sure. But anyway, Indian runners were sent out, and smoke signals were sent up. Now, they had decided that there would be a place of concentration of the Indians to gather, and this was a place called Indian Grove. And this is about four miles south of what is known as Alamo Creek here in south-central Idaho. Now, according to the Indians' account, this was probably the largest number of hostile Indians that ever assembled in these parts. Now, here they provisioned themselves with uh, meat from deer and elk and whatever, and uh, they waited for the train to come traveling in, uh, within sight over the Oregon Trail. And out here, not too far from us, is where the Oregon Trail traveled, and then uh, about at Raft River is where the California Trail cuts off mm -hmm. and heads south over towards the City of Rocks. Uh, and just before you get into the City of Rocks is the little town of Alamo, and where this all occurred. Well, the wagon train, they traveled peacefully for about three short days, and they didn't sight any Indians, and so they camped for the night on Alamo Creek. And again, this is right near where the little village, the little town of Almore sits today. Mm -hmm. Now, here they took their usual precautions. They made a corral of their wagons. They placed a strong guard with their stock, and they slept peacefully, not knowing that an overwhelming band of Indians was looking down on them from Indian Grove, uh, which basically is kind of a large, elevated mountain bench. So they had a good view of the wagon train. All right. Well, the outpost of the Indians watched uh, uh, the immigrants. They watched them light their morning fires that morning and uh, inside the wagon enclosure. They watched the herdsmen drive their stock to the camp to be harnessed for the day's journey. And they saw the line of defense being broken as each wagon filling into its allotted position in almost a military-type precision. Well, the Indians were ready. They were about to attack a foe that was much superior in arms and ammunition. Now, remember, the Indians, they didn't have many guns and even smaller amounts of ammunition. Uh, so they depended pretty much on bows and arrows and their plan of attack. Well, they allowed the train as it moved slowly southward from Alamo Creek towards the City of Rocks to proceed until its rear wagon was some distance from the creek. Now, at this point, with a prearranged signal, the Indians uh, attacked. And they came in great numbers from their hiding places they completely surrounded the surprised wagon train, and they immediately gave orders for all the wagons to be corralled into a circle. Now, when they did this, they would take all the stocks and unhook them from the wagons and put them inside the circle of the wagon. Right. So now, picture this. Uh, you've got the Indians yelling and screaming, uh, riding around and around, and, and I guess if you want to picture this almost like what the Hollywood uh, depiction of this, that's kind of what it was. So the Indians were uh, had already committed the first act of their contemplated tragedy, I guess if you want to call it that. Uh, they had the immigrant train cut off from water, mm -hmm. and the siege began. Oh, boy. Now, this was not a fight where a man was given for man. This was fought kind of in Indian style, which meant basically each, each Indian protected himself, uh, reserving his ammunition, and... Basically, they kept the train in siege until they had exhausted their ammunition, uh, the Indians, and then they would go back and try to get some more. But 
Anyway, a large portion of the Indians secretly went retired back over to Indian Grove, and they would just leave enough of their tribesmen to hold the siege, and uh, from different points of vantage, they would pick off with either arrows or guns any immigrant that attempted to escape or to get water. Now, let me interrupt you there for a second and ask a question, if I could. Okay. Can you give us kind of a land point description up there on the hill as to where this would have been in today's terms so we could understand where it was? Okay, basically, from the little town of Alamo, uh, if you look, as you're driving into Alamo, uh, as you go past Alamo, if you look off to your left, there's some real flat... Uh, uh, valley. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's not really hills or mountains right there. It's just a real flat area where the Alamo Creek ran through that, oh, little, I see. that valley. I see. So there was really no hills or anything to hide uh, for the white people. Okay. And, and uh, just a few miles away, up above on this bench, is what uh, we refer to as Indian Grove. And from there, they could look down on this, uh, on the wagon train. So Basically, in relay, the Indians, day and night, would harass the whites with arrows, guns, and they actually used uh, uh, what we call firebrands, you know, which is an arrow with uh, fire uh, on the front of it. And they would shoot these into the wagons, and, you know, you can just uh, try to imagine how ter- uh, terrorized these people were by all this noise. And... Uh, this was all intended to impress on the immigrants the overwhelming majority of the Indians, how many there were. Mm-hmm. Well, the immigrants realized their condition, and under each wagon a trench was dug with the dirt thrown to the outside, and the digging of a well was started in the hopes of getting water. Well, that didn't work. Uh, the men who undertook to bring water from the creek were usually shot down, and occasionally shots from the Indians took to life or badly wounded uh, somebody inside the the wagon enclosure and again this threw everybody into confusion and grief because people were dying and uh the excitement grew intense because the imagine here again the horses uh and the oxen inside they were running around and jumping and uh you know dust and confusion uh i mean it, it was it was a pretty horrific thing great columns of dust coming up uh, with women and children running here and there, uh, trying to get uh, protection. And again, this with the constant yelling of the Indians and uh, everything, it just was a pretty wild and awful place to contemplate. You know, it really, uh, the war that was taking place with the Indians and the settlers, and the way you said they circled the wagons and everything, so Hollywood's depictions of that thing basically are fairly realistic. They are, yeah. Uh, and again, the wagons would have been. Uh, uh, put in close together with the animals unhitched and uh, just basically either tied up or turned loose inside the uh, the mm-hmm. circled wagon. Okay. So they, again, the horses and animals were just basically kind of going crazy there too. So, but on the third day, the stock was released, uh, uh, and uh, as they went for water, why the Indians took possession of the Indians. And uh, little by little, the fighting force of the train was reduced, and the people left. They had to start contemplating the inevitable. Mm-hmm. And it was on the fourth night that the guide that was employed by the train, he pretty well gave up all hope and planned his escape. Now, he was accompanied by a young woman who had displayed great courage and marksmanship, and under the protection of the darkness, they crawled through the sagebrush, and they made their way to the mountains. 
And after hours and hours of travel, they found their way to the settlement of Brigham City, Utah. Oh, my. Now, in the after part of that same night, there was one man and two women, one with a nursing baby. They secretly crawled and stole from the doomed camp, and they crawled for miles on their hands and knees. And the mother of the child actually had to hold the baby uh, uh, with a, a blanket in her teeth so she could crawl and continue to carry the baby. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but they were successful in making their escape. They reached uh, a point over on Raft River where they actually lived on rosebuds and roots until they were found by a rescue party from Brigham City, Utah, and uh, who sent them uh, uh, to the settlement. And then they proceeded onto the battlegrounds of the Alamo Creek, and they found the entire party slain, the wagons burned, and the bodies of the unfortunate people were buried in the wells, which they had dug to uh, try to find water. But, mm-hmm. And so that's the Alamo Creek Massacre. Now, I've got to say here, Zeb, there's some dispute about this, this story. If it really happened, uh, or if it did happen, was it a much smaller group? Uh, my personal interviews with people that live in the town of Alamo, and there's an account that's told by Indians who were there um, and passed on to their kids, and so I believe that this did happen, even though, again, there's some dispute as to whether or not this uh, Alamo Creek massacre ever really occurred. But I've talked to people who live up there uh, in the course of farming and plowing the ground. They've uncovered uh, different parts from wagons, uh, guns, arrowheads, and uh, I've talked to some uh, another person that they have relatives from Brigham City that went up there and salvaged the metal from the wagon wheels and any other metal they could find from the burned wagon. Why is there a dispute? I mean, um, we're talking about a historical event. We're talking about uh, Brigham City, you know, not that far away in geographical mileage. Uh, we're talking about uh, the uh, Army getting involved, etc. Why is there a dispute as to whether or not it ever happened? Uh, you would think there's got to be some recording of, of written history well, someplace that verifies it. The people that dispute this say, well, there was no newspaper accounts of this. Well, maybe there wasn't. Um, but, again, my, my research says that it did happen. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, some people might argue with us on that, but, but uh, everything I've read and studied about it, uh, I believe it did. Now, what were the Indian so, tribes again, Dr. History, that were involved in this? Were they basically the Shoshone Bannocks? Probably. Pardon probably. me? Okay, now I've got another real short story that ends a little better. I want to end on a little more positive note. Okay. Right? <laughs> okay, now I mentioned a few miles south of Alamo is where the City of Rocks is. Mm-hmm. Now this was a place that was pretty scary to the immigrants because the City of Rocks uh, is where you know Indians could hide out and uh, you know it was kind of a scary place. But um, so I'm going to tell you this little short story. There was a small wagon train of only six wagons. And it lined up in front of a place called Bathtub Rock to camp for the night. Okay. Now, a man. Now, Bathtub Rock. I, I think you've probably been there, as I have. I've climbed to the top of that, and uh, the reason they call it that is because up on top there's a big depression where water uh, collects every year. You're the one that left the ivory soap there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so there's water up on top of Bathtub Rock, but. Anyway, there, uh, a man by the name of Tom had bought some choke cherries from some Indian women uh, that day and had mistakenly given them a gold piece instead of a quarter. Now, this story is told by a gal by the name of Anna Hayes, and she was 17 at this time. 
And she says, here's, here's her story. She says, a little before daylight, we heard, heard the sharp thud of a rock striking the, striking the side of the captain's wagon next to ours. She says, it wakened all of us, and we heard a cautiously spoken call from the top of the rock. Said, Indians, warned the guard, Indians coming down the trail. Well, that was the beginning of our siege, which lasted nearly four days. All day long, arrows flew from behind bush and tree. All day long, our men returned fire. At twilight, it was decided that we better get the women and children and such supplies as we could to the top of the bathtub rock, uh, because the Indians seemed to be coming in uh, more increasing numbers. Well, there were only 25 of us, including women and children, and the ammunition was none too plentiful. So the men remained on the ground to guard the stock and watch for the source of stray arrows. Well, at dawn, the siege began again, and by mid-morning, the Indians came in such numbers that the stock was let go, and the men sought the safety of the rock. And if you can imagine, they were climbing up to get on top with arrows flying all around them. And she says, well, we were safe there on the roof of that great stone, but the sun was unmercifully hot, and the question of water began to worry us a bit. But the bathtub rock held a good bit of water, and 25 people, they want a, quite a bit of water, but uh, even if the supply is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Well, darkness came slowly that day, but when it did come, it brought uh, kind of a cool evening wind. And strangely enough, it was these choke cherry-picking Indian women that saved the day. Oh, really? Now, watching from their fortress, from the bathtub rock, she says, we saw a band of Indians assembling at another great rock about a mile away. Now, there have been no arrows and no Indians in sight at close range for some time. Well, the captain, who was watching through his spyglass, he was watching what was happening, and he, seemed, he said they seemed to be coming this way, and they were coming slowly. And we could see two Indian women walking along the trail, leading the procession of warriors on horseback. Now, about a quarter of a mile from Bastobrock, they stopped and dismounted, tying their horses uh, to some aspen trees, and then they held their hands up high above their heads with their bow and arrows down to their sides. Mm-hmm. Now, some 30 or 40 Indians, still led by the Indian women, came on toward the rock. Well, the Indians waited, and captain, the captain and Tom climbed down, got to the ground. They uh, came on toward the two Indian women and the warriors, and uh, there were four of the warriors that seemed to be the leaders. They came forward to meet our men, and she says, we barely held our breath, uh, peeping over the rim from whatever shelter position we could find, and it was just a few minutes until we could realize the battle was over and we had been saved. Uh, she says the men all sat down on the ground a bit, got up again, and shook, shook hands with the captain and Tom. Well, it seems that Tom had paid the Indian women uh, a gold piece instead of the quarter, which he had intended giving them, for some choke cherries. Well, the chief, who knew the value of that gold piece, uh, had decided that the white men, so good as that, must not be killed. And she says, heaven only knows what would have happened if, to us if Tom hadn't made that mistake. Mm, boy. So here's a, I guess if you want to call it a sex success story, um, that uh, these people survived and uh, by a mistake from... <laughs> Uh, giving them more than what they the Indians more than what they well, absolutely and the moral of the story is when you buy fruit don't forget to pay for it in gold that's right and <laughs> always give more than what you what you think it's worth absolutely because so. you might not have a, a set of hair on your head by the time you get home <laughs> that's right you may not have any hair on your head <laughs> you oh. be riding along on the side of some 
somebody's uh, saddle. Hey, I'll tell you what, you did an excellent job on both of those stories this morning. I always look forward to your uh, historical reviews, and thank you very much, Dr. History. We appreciate it. Well, thank you. I, uh, like I say, this is right close to where we live, where you and I live. Absolutely. The City of Rocks has kind of always been a special place. Uh, I love going up in there and the unique rock formations, and any of our listeners that want to uh, Google that city of rocks. You can see where the California Trail went right through the middle of that. Okay, I tell you what. Someday we ought to go up there, and what we ought to do is take a little tour on some of your historical reviews, and give our own personal uh, responses as to the setting and what we found and the feeling and that type of thing. Like what was similar to me when I went up to Custer's Battlefield. Right, and there are some uh, immigrant uh, names uh, up there that have been written on some of the rocks Okay, that are still visible up there that we could uh, take a look at as well. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Ken Turner, better known as Dr. History, right here every Tuesday. Excellent job as always, and uh, in a couple of weeks you're going to have some news, I hope, to report. That's the plan. Maybe sooner. Okay. Doc, don't work too hard. Thanks. God bless you, man. Thank you so much. Very nice man right there. We appreciate all of his effort. Dr. History.